Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. So I want to ask you a question as we start. Um, I wonder what is the weirdest thing you have ever bought? The weirdest thing you've ever you know, exchanged for money or maybe you've exchanged it for something else. For me, when I was uh, in Dubai a, uh, a few years ago now, um, I bought this, which you may not be able to see, but that's actually me. It's a 3D model of me encased in glass. And uh, so, Tanika, do you just want to hold that and, uh, you know, if you ever get lonely, I'm just, I'm there with you all the time. You know, it's a bit of a strange thing to, to buy. It's a bit of a, a strange exchange to enter into. Um, why you would pay money for that, I don't really know, but it just looked cool at the time. So, um, yeah, I did it. But that's nothing compared to some of these strange exchanges I want to read out to you. So, Britney Spears' used pregnancy test was sold on eBay for over $5,000. Pee on a stick, $5,000. There you go. Um, A British man sold his or auctioned, rather, his long-time imaginary friend once he got sick of him. John Malipyman was the uh, imaginary friend's name, and uh, the winning bid on eBay was $3,000 for the imaginary friend. Kathy uh, Summers, a, a crazy fan, bought Justin Timberlake's partially eaten French toast for $1,025. A mystery bidder uh, paid $3 million for the window, just the pane of glass and the frame, where Lee Harvey Oswald supposedly shot JFK. I think for the next one we have a photo, if we can have that next photo up. So, I don't know how well you can see this. It might not be the projector screen, it might just be that it's not really kind of there. But Golden Casino spent $28,000 on this grilled cheese sandwich that supposedly looks like the Virgin Mary. Can you see it or not? $28,000 for a grilled cheese sandwich. Strange exchanges. What about the, the next one? I think we have a photo for this next one. So this bride, we don't know how much she paid for it, but she wanted a full-size life replica of herself as their wedding cake. So that is a cake. So you can see that she doesn't look that happy. I think maybe just now it's kind of dawning on her, the strangeness of what is about to happen as they cut the cake and as the friends kind of devour various parts of her. A bit of a strange thing to do. What about this next one? I I think I've got one more photo. Um, These, who saw this story? It was just from uh, last week. Uh, These were the first... Uh, Nike shoes ever made back in 1972, handmade uh, Nike uh, shoes and uh, they just set the record for the most expensive shoes ever sold, $437,000 they raised at auction, a strange exchange. 
And finally, a, a man called Ian Usher decided to sell and again auction off online his life. All his friends, his job, his apartment, everything that he owned in the entire world, he decided that he would sell his life and the winning bidder paid $380,000 for it. Would you be willing to exchange your life for $38,000? A whole bunch of strange exchanges, but people were happy to pay because they loved the item so much that the more we love something, the more that we're willing to pay in exchange for that and the happier you are about doing it. So, many of you know that I love water skiing. I just love it, you know, being out on the, on the water, you know, particularly when it's flat. For those that maybe aren't water skiers, if you can get on a single ski when, when it's just like glass out there, it's just amazing. I, I don't think I love anything more than sort of getting out there and, and, uh, and doing that. And I don't think that anyone loves water skiing more than me, except for maybe Scott, my, my mate Scott, who I go water skiing with quite often. Um, but for the past 18 months, um, he had pulled down his shed where he kept his boat, and so his boat wasn't there. And so we've only been water skiing maybe three times in about the last 18 months or so. But then, just the other day, his new shed was finished. And so the boat was back. And so uh, last Saturday, we had planned to go for a, an amazing water ski. The first one in like, you know, you know, months and months and months, we hadn't been out and we were getting so excited about it. And we were making all these plans. But at the same time, Ingrid was making plans, his wife, because she turned 40 there um, away this week, sort of celebrating because, yeah, on Wednesday she turned 40. And so she was making plans to see her family. And so Scott then had to call me and, and cancel our long-awaited skiing trip. Anyway, so that Saturday morning, I was down at the river walking Charlie, our dog, and it was so flat. It was so amazing. I took a photo. In fact, this is the photo that I took of how flat you can see, how flat the river is. And so I took that photo and I sent it to Scott. And some of you are thinking, that is terrible. What kind of a pastor, what kind of a friend are you doubling the poor man's pain? But in fact, just the opposite was true because... 24 hours later, he sent me a text and I quote, Married life has been fantastically better than ever over the past 24 hours. So what is happening here? So a photo that seemingly should have upset him, that doubled his pain, actually doubled his joy. Because I didn't just send the photo, I sent a text and I, I said to him, you know, that you have done this exchange, you've exchanged time skiing for time with your wife. And so what that means is, is that if I double the experience that you would have had, that means that it actually doubles 
the love that you have for your wife. And so you need to make sure that whatever you do with your wife today has to be doubly as great as the, the joy that you would have had if you were skiing to make the exchange right. And it worked because that is the text that he sent back to me. And that is actually what I want for all of you this morning, to double your joy through sacrifice, through this exchange. Now, I have never bet any actual money in my life. But before I was a Christian, every week I would play poker and blackjack with my mates. We had a weekly meeting where we would... um, where we would get together, and I'm just seeing Stephen and Patina and little Reuben in for the first time. Welcome. Congratulations, guys. Now, where was I? Oh, Blackjack. <laughs> so we would play, and you know, for those of you that maybe don't know how sort of Blackjack or poker works, normally you sort of... You, you get a, depending on how you play it, but you sort of, you start off with, you know, one or two cards and you sort of progress and you get more cards and each card you get, you have to pay, uh, you know, money for, but we would always have a limit. There was a cap on, on, you know, how much you could pay for one particular card. But then we also played this rule where we said, it was this rule that was called double down. And with the double down rule, what would happen is whatever bet, however much money you had on the table, you could double that amount, bet double that amount if you're willing to only take one more card. Only take one more card, double down one more card and you, know, you could lose twice as much but you could also win twice as much. And because, you know, people had so much money, as I said, we didn't actually bet for money. We just had, you know, tokens and different things. But when you were so invested, when you had so much on the table, you would, you know, double down and go all in because you were unwilling to to walk away and because you didn't know what that final card was going to be. That one final card could change everything. And so really what I was trying to do with Scott is I was trying to double down. I was trying to to double down the sacrifice, to double down the joy, and it paid off. It was a winning hand. And there is a story in the Bible that talks about, you know, this idea of, you know, double down and strange exchanges. And it's the story of Jacob in the Bible. And so we're going to, to look at that today. So Jacob was a guy and he actually had a brother and his name was Esau. And in fact, he wasn't just a brother, he was a twin brother. But the thing was, is that Esau was born first. And in that culture, in that time, what that meant was, was that Esau got to double down on the father's inheritance and got to double down on the father's blessing. So Jacob spent his whole life wishing that he could exchange the hand that he was dealt with his brother. He wanted to exchange the the hand of being second born. He wanted to be the first born. He wanted to have that double down blessing of inheritance and the double down blessing 
you know, that, that his father would pray over him. So he spent his whole life trying to be someone that he was not, trying to exchange his hand for someone else's. So there was a time when he saw that his, his brother Esau had just come back from the field. He was desperate. He was hungry. And so he offered this strange exchange. And the strange exchange was is that in exchange for, you know, his birthright, um, Jacob would give him a bowl of soup, a bowl of lentil soup. It was a very strange exchange. But because in the moment Esau was desperate, he was hungry, he agreed. So one bowl of soup for everything in the father's will. And can I tell you, his daddy was rich. So it wasn't just a little inheritance, it was a big inheritance. It was a strange exchange that he lost out, that there was an exchange that took place and Esau lost big time. But Jacob, he thought that he won. He doubled down and he won. So he had now the inheritance sort of, you know, that was belonging to him, but he still needed that that blessing of, of prayer. And so when his... His father was on his deathbed. He was blind. He couldn't see and he wanted to to reach out in the dark and lay his hand upon his firstborn son and, and pray that blessing over him. But Jacob, you know, again, as I said, he wanted to exchange the hand that he was dealt. So he, you know, his brother was hairier than him. So he, he put on, you know, some some fake hair, he put on a, you know, a fancy dress costume, went into his dad, and as his dad reached out, he illegitimately prayed the blessing over the second born instead of over the first born. So Jacob thought that he had exchanged his way into getting what he wanted. But fast forward again in Jacob's life, and now there's a time where now where he was the deceiver, now he is the one that is being deceived. And his uncle Laban is doing the deceiving. So let's read this story. We're starting in Genesis 29 verse 16. It says, Now Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were gentle, but Rachel, oh, Rachel was beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said to Laban, I will work seven years for you if you will allow me to marry your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it'd be better for you to marry her than someone else, so stay with me. So Jacob stayed and worked for Laban for seven years, but it seemed like such a short time because he loved Rachel very much. So just like... Esau with the soup. Jacob is now desperate and hungry. But he's not hungry for food. He's kind of hungry for something else. If you kind of, you know, he's hungry for a little chicken. Well, well, he's hungry for, you know, she was hot. Now, it was customary in the time... For someone, you know, there was a a set exchange that would take place in the time. But if you wanted to have a 
you know, a wife and you didn't have the money to pay for their, you know, for their dowry or however you want to say it, that you could work. And the going rate was that you would work for about three and a half years. So what Jacob is saying is, I'm doubling down. I, I, I'm so in love with her. I, I, so, I want her so bad that I'm willing to put everything that I have on the table. I'm willing to double down and I'm willing to say, I will work for you for seven years to get her. Which sounds great. But we're going to see what happened next because, as it said, Rachel had a, a sister, an older sister called Leah. And normally the Bible is very like brutally honest about you know, the truth and different things like that. You know, it tells the story without you know, sort of covering over things or, or doing whatever. But you know, my mum always used to say, you know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So the guy that's writing this account down is this guy called Moses. And Leah is actually uh, Moses' great-great-grandma. So now you can't say anything nasty about your great-great-grandma. But when it says, you know, in that version it says that, you know, that um, Leah's eyes were gentle. It really means that probably something was wrong with her eyes. That maybe... She wasn't, you know, it says, but Rachel was beautiful. So it kind of means she ugly. No one wants to marry her. You know, it's kind of like this thing. It's a, kind of a nice way of saying, it. you know how like as Christians, we kind of like to go up to someone and say, you've got a servant's heart. Have you ever heard someone say that? If someone comes up and says to you, you know, for those that are maybe visitors and don't know the Christian lingo, if someone comes up to you and says you've got a servant heart, it means they're probably about to ask you to clean the toilets or do something that you don't want to do, and you should just run out of there. We kind of have this way of like veiling the language, and so kind of they're veiling the language and saying that she, she has gentle eyes. But that's really what it meant. No one wanted to marry her. Because notice that Laban doesn't give a definitive answer, does he? He doesn't come back and say, yes, Jacob, it's a deal. I'll work for you for seven years. He just says, it'd be better for you to marry her than someone else, I guess. You know, it's a bit like me when I go to my wife and I say, how long until you're ready? And she says, well, I, I'm, I've just got to do my mascara. And then I really wanted to curl my hair today, Joshy. And so, I, I, you know, I'm just like, I just want to just tell me, just, you know, seven minutes. Just give me a time. But no, she won't give me a time because she doesn't want me to know that we're going to be late because of what she's doing. And so she kind of veils the language and doesn't give me a time, and Laban is kind of doing the same thing. He doesn't want to enter into an agreement because he has an ulterior motive, and the ulterior motive is about to be exposed. Let's keep reading in verse 21. It says, After seven years, Jacob said to Laban, Give me Rachel so that I can marry her. My time of work for you is finished. So Laban gave a party for all the people in the place. That night, Laban brought his daughter Leah to Jacob. 
And Jacob and Leah had sexual relations. In the morning, Jacob saw that it was Leah he had slept with and so said to Laban, you tricked me. I worked hard for you so that I could marry Rachel. Why did you trick me? Then Laban said, it is not the custom in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Continue for the full week of the marriage ceremony and I will give you Rachel as well to marry. But you must serve me another seven years. Wow, a strange exchange, exchanging one sister for another. And the story is not quite finished yet, but I don't know if you can see the parallels between what Laban did to Jacob as to what Jacob did to, to Esau, how he tricked his, you know, his father into giving him the blessing. You see, Isaac had reached out in the dark to bless what he thought was his firstborn son, but illegitimately blessed the secondborn. And Jacob, on his wedding night, reached out in the dark, which is how they would have switched things. You know, they probably gave him a little bit to drink and, you know, during the wedding ceremony they would wear veils and all that kind of stuff. But he reached out in the night thinking that he was going to get the second born and when he started to get angry and complain about it, what did Laban say? He basically said, hey, it would be illegitimate in our culture to bless the second born over the first born. And oh, have you ever had that moment where you've got all unrighteous about what they have done and how they have failed you and how they have done the wrong thing, only to discover in that strange exchange that you have actually done that same thing to someone else? And notice how, you know, Laban took advantage of him. How he said he saw that because Jacob was willing to double down and go from three and a half to, to seven years, that then Laban then doubles down again. He, he says, all right, you've doubled down. Now I'm going to double down. Work seven more years and you can get what you want. He manipulated his desire so that Laban could get what he wanted. So how does this apply to our lives? Well, I think that God wants us to know that like Esau in the soup or like Jacob towards Rachel, if we desire anything over God, we will be disappointed. That when we enter into an exchange with the world... We will always end up shortchanged by the exchange. It will always be a strange exchange and people will go and we will go, why did I ever do that? I ended up worse off. But anytime we enter into an exchange with God, we always end up better off. Any exchange that we enter into with the world will leave us worse off. And after the fact, when we awake in the morning, having realized what we have done, we will find that it was Leah that we woke up next to and not Rachel. That what we discovered in the morning 
was not what we thought that we were entering into. It wasn't the trade, it wasn't the exchange that we thought. It didn't give us what we wanted. It was disappointing. So what are you desiring? What are the desires of your heart? Is it money? Money will disappoint. Just like that guy that traded his, his whole life for money. But then if you go on and read the story, he was drastically disappointed because first of all, he thought that he would get more money than that. But then second of all, because he traded his job, he had no means of making more money. And plus, even the money that he had, he traded his friends. So he had no one to share the money with. What he found was, is that when we put our hope, when we put our you know, desire on money today, that tomorrow we will wake up next to Leah. We will wake up disappointed in the exchange. What about sex and relationships? If Christ is not at the center, if you desire a relationship more than you desire God... If like Jacob, you wish to change your identity, you wish to change your status, change your hand. If you think, if I can just change my status from singled, single to in a relationship, that that's going to change everything. Then just like Jacob, you're going to find that you wake up next to Leah. That you are left disappointed with the exchange that took place. If you desire approval from people, whether it be going after that job, telling that, that joke, playing that sport, whatever it is, it depends on the people that you surround yourself with, will depend on what is going to impress them and what you will then do to impress them. But you exchange your identity for what it's going to take to impress those other people. And when you do it, you are always, always, always going to find that you wake up next to Leah, that the promise is never as good as what you thought, that when you awake in the morning that you are left disappointed. You double down, you put it all on the table and you lost. It was a strange exchange. So what do you desire? What strange exchange have you allowed to creep in to bed with you that you desire more than God? There's one final strange exchange that leads to, to disappointment and it's found at the end of the story. But then the good news is, is that it offers the solution. It offers hope for those of us that have maybe woken up next to Leah. Let's read in verse 31. It says, The Lord saw that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So he made it possible for Leah to have children, but Rachel did not have any children. Leah gave birth to a son and she named him Reuben. She named him this because she said, The Lord has seen my troubles. My husband does not love me. So now... Maybe my husband will love me. Leah became pregnant again and had another son. She named him Simeon and said, The Lord has heard that I am not loved. So it didn't work the first time. She still wasn't loved. 
So he gave me a son. Leah became pregnant again, and another son she named Levi. She said, now surely my husband will love me. I've given him three sons. So it obviously didn't work the, sec- it didn't work the first time, it didn't work the second time, and it still didn't work the third time. So then Leah gave birth to another son. She named this son Judah. Leah named him that because she said, now I will praise the Lord. Okay, let's put ourselves in Leah's shoes for just a moment to sort of understand maybe what's going on here. Leah was always living in the shadow of her better, older, sorry, younger sister. And her younger sister couldn't get married because the custom was that the second born couldn't get blessed before the first born. So because she couldn't get married, it meant then that the whole family was put into disgrace because of her and because of something that she couldn't change. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Then she finally gets married. And it seems like that, you know, all her prayers, all her dreams have come true. But then what does her father do? Her father gets her to marry a guy that doesn't love her through deception. And not only that, to double her pain, he then, the very... The very sister that she's lived in the shadow with, that she's compared herself with, that everyone else has compared her with her whole life, her father then puts that same sister in that marriage relationship with them so she can never escape the comparison. It's like she's exchanged the pit that she thought that she was in for an even deeper pit that she could never escape. But then it seems like that there's, that there's hope. There's this glimmer of hope that starts to, to come upon her because all of a sudden she finds something that she can do better than her sister, that she can be a mum. So she puts all her hopes, all her desires on that, that maybe this, maybe this thing will make me enough. Maybe this thing will give me the identity. Maybe I can change my identity from what it has been. The, the girl that's ugly, the girl that, that no one wants. Maybe this thing now all of a sudden will be able to change my identity into something else so I can be a mom and maybe people will love me because I'm a mom. Now, we don't know exactly you know, what she had. Maybe she was cross-eyed. Maybe she had a lazy eye. The, the name Leah means lazy or weak or tired. And I'm sure that she was tired of that comparison having been made over her. And notice what she calls that, her first son. She calls him Reuben because it means the Lord sees She put all her hopes on that. She, she, she bet everything that she had on that this thing finally was going to be able to give her the identity. But even that failed. Even that disappointed. She made the exchange and she lost. Why would we ever exchange the unending, eternal 
love and acceptance of our Father for the temporary love and acceptance of people. Yet you and I do that every day. You and I enter into those strange exchanges with what we do every day. But finally, in the end, with the fourth son, she named him Judah because she finally understood that she was going to praise God no matter what. That she was going to exchange back. That if you've made the wrong exchange today, it's not the end for you. It's not the end of the story. You can exchange back. You can exchange back the acceptance of people back for the acceptance of God. The eternal acceptance of God is right there waiting for you. It was right there waiting for Leah. She thought that she had you know, gone out of the rut and into the pit. But, you know... And then she put all her hopes on, on family. And family is a good thing. But, but family will end up still disappointing. In the morning, you will still find that even that is Leah. But finally, she doubled down on God. And she won. Now, I may not be your favorite pastor after this part. But that's Okay. We've got gorgeous George up the back there. He's, he's everybody's favorite pastor. He's ready to, to pray with you over the, you know, the wrong you know, things that I'm about to say. There he is up the back over there. But I believe that God is calling all of us to double our sacrifice. Yes, there are sacrifices that you have made, but I believe that God is calling us to double our sacrifice. But, that's not all, to be happy about doing it. Now, some of you are immediately thinking, is he going to pass the offering bags around again? Is it, are we? No, we're not doing that. If your brain went straight to money and you're defensive about that, then maybe that is your little God. Maybe that is what you have sort of, you know, if you're saying, don't talk to me about money. Churches just want your money. And so don't talk to me about money. Maybe that is your security. Maybe that is what you have placed everything on. And so maybe money is a thing that you need to sacrifice in order to see that you love God more than money. But just like, I sent that photo to Scott and the doubling down of the sacrifice brought a doubling up of the joy. This is, I'm not saying this because I hate you, I'm saying this because I love you. Because I want you to come to the place where you say, my money, you can have it. If it's going for, for, to God, have it. You want my time? You want me to, to serve you know, house youth on a Friday night? Gladly. When people come to you and say, do you want to come to that, that party on Friday night? You can say with a smile on your face, no. <laughs> when people say to you, are you going to date that really hot, good-looking guy? You can say with a smile on your face, no. I'm not going to settle for Leah. I, I know that there is a good Christian guy out there waiting for me. And so my love for God 
cannot, you cannot tempt me. You cannot, no matter how much money you put on the table, no matter how good the offer is, my joy in God is doubled. So double it up. Double up the sacrifice and double up the joy. Now, you, you all know that, that one of my life sayings is, we don't have to, we get to. So I'm not ever asking you to, to sacrifice something that you don't want to sacrifice. There is no resentment in the kingdom of God. There is no resentment. So I'm not asking you to give something up that you are going to resent. But what I am asking, what I am praying for is that God... The lo- your love of God will be so increased that no matter how much doubling the world has to offer, you will not enter into an exchange with the world and end up losing. When you double down with the world, you always lose. But what I'm saying is double up with God and you will always win. But I believe that there will be a sacrifice even this week that God is calling you to make, that there is things that are wanting to climb into bed with you. There are gods that are wanting to vie for your attention, vie for that top spot. But you can say gladly, no. I'm willing to sacrifice that because it's no sacrifice when I get something better in return, the love and the acceptance of my Father God. Notice that in the passage, it said, in, in verse 20, it said, So Jacob stayed and worked for Laban for seven years, but it seemed like such a very short time because he loved Rachel so much. So seven years' work was his sacrifice, and even when it was doubled to 14, he did it joyfully. Because he loved Rachel so much. Well, what if our love for Jesus was so great that we could willingly say, yep, have my money, yep, have my time, yep, have my heart, have all of me. I give it all gladly to you, God. People ask me all the time if I miss teaching or miss being a geologist or miss the money that I could make doing those things. And, and honestly, I don't even think about what I left behind because I'm so in love with what I'm doing now that it doesn't even seem like a sacrifice to me. I don't, I don't think about the money. I don't think about those, those other jobs because I'm so enamored with what I get to do now. I'm so in love with what I get to do now. It was the same on, on my wedding day. I... It didn't even dawn on me to say goodbye or, or thank you or anything for the, you know, the 22 years that I lived at home with my family because I was simply focused on how amazing the next 60 years with my wife was going to be. It's no sacrifice to give up something when you're moving into something better and greater. It's no sacrifice to exchange Leah for Rachel. Why would we ever do that? And we can be confident in that because Jesus doubled down when it came to us. I read this passage in uh, 
communion this morning for those that were here for our communion service, if the band would like to, to come. It's Hebrews 12.2. It says, We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. So we exchange looking at anything the world has to offer. We take our gaze from being towards that and we fix our gaze on Jesus. We exchange our gaze onto Jesus who birthed our faith in us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing you, knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, according to Jesus, as big as his sacrifice was, as big as the sacrifice is excruciating, the very word excruciating comes from the word cross, the crucifixion, excrucio. It was the most painful, the most excruciating death ever to occur. But as big as the sacrifice was, the joy was even greater. Because what I want you to understand this morning, church, is that you are God's Rachel. You are God's Rachel. That when someone came to God and, and said, would you, would you work seven years? Sure. Would, would you walk, work 14 years? Sure. Would you give your life in exchange for them? He said, gladly, with joy in my heart. That is what that passage is, is saying. For the joy set before him. For the joy was he knew that you would be with him, that you would be married to him, that you would be his Rachel. That is how much he loves you. That when you bet on God, you can be sure of that bet. Because he bet everything on you. And maybe you had this happen to you when you were little but sometimes when I was little my mum my or my dad would come up to me and they would say Josh I love you this much and it, it was cue for me to double down and say well I love you this much twice as much and then they would say they would double down again and they would say well we love you this much and then my little hands couldn't stretch any wider. My little hands couldn't go anymore. I had nowhere to go. And so I would say, you know, with my hands outstretched, I would say, well, I love you infinity. And Jesus upon that cross with his hands outstretched is saying to us, I love you infinity. You are my Rachel. I would give anything to be with you. You are my, it doesn't matter what the cost is. 
It doesn't matter how big, it doesn't matter how far, it doesn't matter. I will pay anything to be with you. And the cross was his trump card. It was the final. He doubled down with the cross. It was his trump card, but it was the card that changed everything. It was the card that that beat sin. It was the card that beat death. It was the card that beat anxiety. It was the card that beat fear. It was the card that beat all your not being enoughness. He beat it all upon the cross. It was his trump card. But more than that, it gives us confidence because he bet so much, because he bet it all, because he put it all on the table, he put it all on the line. It means that he is unwilling to ever, ever, ever walk away. The bet was big, but the joy was bigger. But because the bet was so big, he's unwilling to ever walk away. Have a listen to this. If you can stand as we're going to close. Hebrews 13.5, God said, I will not in any way fail you or give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let you down nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. God was not disappointed with his sacrifice. It was not a strange exchange to him because he looked into your face and he said, worth it, worth it, worth it, worth it. So how can we, with a God that would love us so deeply, the firstborn son of all creation, all the blessings that should have been given to him in the most strange exchange in history meant that all the blessings of Jesus, the firstborn son of all creation, now comes to you. You were illegitimate, but now you've been adopted into the forever family of God. And if you need that exchange to take place in your heart and your life today, then we're going to pray and then we're going to worship a God who would do anything to love you and to be with you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your overwhelming, unending love for us that was willing to bet it all, to put your very life, your very self on the line. Go to the grave. But Father, we thank you that you won. You won so that we can now win. In a divine exchange that took place, you exchanged your life for ours. So Lord, how can we ever look to the things of this world and go after them when there is someone who would go to such depths for us. Father, we thank you for that exchange, the divine exchange that took place upon the cross. Lord, help us
Lord, when other things come and try to tempt us, when we're tempted to enter into an exchange with the world, Lord, help us to run away from them, to, to take our eyes off of them and fix our gaze firmly on you. That although this week you may be calling us to a double down sacrifice, that it's only because that on the other end of that, you want to bring us a double down blessing of joy, of acceptance, of, of assurance, of love, of peace. In your precious name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.